we're going to go through class like we normally would. We'll kind of summarize the Parsha, um, though we're actually starting with the first two verses of the Parsha. But, so we'll summarize beyond what what we're going to teach. And then we'll do some Kushiot, and then we'll show you some sources. Um, we are just starting the book of Leviticus, which... For some people, it's very exciting, and for other people, like the 99% of the population, it's not so exciting, um, but it, it means that we're going to be talking a lot about sacrifices and different types of sacrifices and why sacrifices, and um, it is... Uh, it's great. So we're going to today focus a little bit on like why, why sacrifices and kind of what, what those sacrifices are for us today, um, based on just the first two lines of the Parsha. So David, do you want to do the summary of Vayikra or do you want me to do it? Sure. I'll do my best to do a summary of Vayikra. Um, do you want to show, like, do you want to show the safari sheet or do you want me to do that and you can kind of go through it? Yeah, you, you can show the, the sheet, but I think before, do we need the sheet to summarize? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Um, okay, well, but, you know, so Vayikra, um, really interestingly, uh, one of my teachers last semester, Dr. Zevit, who, who just retired from AJU, uh, but I got in at the last second into his, uh, his very intense class. Um, notes that uh, Vayikra is actually an instruction manual, not for the priests, but actually for the people, um, which I found really interesting. That it that it really is uh, is is step by step instructions for when people uh, feel the need or desire to bring um, a an animal sacrifice, animal and or um, meal and or like you know, um, wheat. Uh, offering, um, it really tells them what they need to do and what they can bring. Uh, it doesn't really go into, you know, it doesn't say the step-by-step instructions of how the priest is going to prepare and slaughter. It really, it says what goes to the priest. It says, you know, ba- the basic things of, of the fats or um, other kind of special things that are burned on the altar. But it's really a guide for um, regular old Israelites to come and bring their sacrifices. Uh, so, you know, uh, to not go too deep into each of them, um, what we have is kind of a breakdown of different types of sacrifices. Um, some of them, it starts with the, with the Ola, which is a, uh, completely burnt offering, which is, uh, is, is, is basically a free will offering. Um, it's, it's, it's not brought for any particular need or, or purpose. Um, it is just kind of the ideal, like I want to give one of my, uh, major pieces of property to God, right? And, and so just to, to kind of back up for a second, the whole process of animal sacrifice, uh, as far as we can understand it in our time, it seems to be, um, and many of you may know this, but some of you may not, seems to be that, you know, animals are very valuable, right? And to, gi- to give one up, especially um, a large one, like, like something from, from the flock, like uh, cattle or, or some such thing, um, is a really big sacrifice, right? Thus comes that word. Um, though the word, we can ex- we're going to explore a little bit that word, korban, 
Um, maybe a better translation is offering, but either way, you're, you're offering up something that, that you don't necessarily have to. Um, and it shows kind of like everything comes from God. So I'm just going to give up this major part, um, of my property, um, to show that it's not about the property. It's about God. Um, so yeah, so it goes through a number of different offerings. You have this Ola completely burnt offering. We have, um, sin offerings for individuals when they feel they've done something wrong or they know they've done something wrong. They give a, a certain uh, sacrifice. There's guilt offerings, which um, are things when you think you've done something wrong, but you're not sure. Uh, so there's enough. You, you feel guilt. You, it's a good Jewish offering um, that that you have these options. And interestingly, in each in each of these categories, you have different possibilities depending on what um, uh, what economic status, what economic category um, you are in. So you have much you have the option of doing larger animals if you're able to afford such things, which are kind of the cream of the crop deluxe package that you can order. Um, but there's no there's no real um, value distinction with uh, something like a lamb or a sheep, right? Which is kind of the next tier down from uh, these large cattle. And if you don't have that, that's also pretty, pretty dear. Um, You can bring a bird of some kind, which is a lot cheaper, uh, a lot easier to, to afford. Um, And these are all viable options to uh, get your, your, your sacrificial needs um, taken care of. I can see a commercial. All your sacrificial needs come down to the Mishkan. Uh, any, any budget, no credit, no problem. Um, maybe that's a future. It's not a spiel sketch for this year, but it's, it might be a spiel sketch for future years. Uh, um, so that's, I think, the basic sum up. And there's interestingly, there's, 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 there's guilt and sin offerings for individuals and there's guilt and sin offerings for leaders of the community. Um, and for the community as a whole, if there's, if there's greater, um, if, if there's greater issues with maybe the community hasn't done something right or hasn't lived up to their, uh, full potential, there are offerings for that as well. Um, I think that's a good sum up to start. Okay. So we are going to look at, um, the first two verses of Leviticus. Karen, hold on one second. You can ask him a question afterwards, but we're going to look at these specific verses. Um, so let me just share my screen really quickly. Okay. So first of all, what you're going to notice here, can you all see that? Yeah. Okay, great. It popped up something else. So I want to change. Okay. Um, so what you're first going to notice potentially, or what I'm going to make you notice is that Vayikra, the first word of the Parsha and the name of the book, has a little Aleph. Do you see that? Do you see that the Aleph here is littler than the word Vayikra? So 
the as as many of you know who were involved with Temple Beth Am before my time with Rabbi Ari Lucas, um, there's actually a book that talks all about the big and little letters of the Torah, and he was very enthralled with that. And as his intern, I enjoyed hearing him teach about the big and little letters of the Torah very often. Um, and this is one of them. And so we're actually we're gonna we have a few sources that we're gonna show you um, or teach you or discuss with you about that little Aleph. But I just wanted to point it out because it's not just a typo. It looks that way in the Torah also. So tomorrow when you're in Shul, if you're in Shul, um, you can come up and see that in our Torah. So it says, Vayikra El Moshe. So, and, uh, well, So, and God called to Moses. Um, and he spoke to him, and he spoke to him from the tent of meeting as to, to say, So speak to Ben Israel, to the children of Israel, and say really unto them or say to them, a, a person, Adam, uh, when, when they are, um, uh, when, I want to translate this very directly. When they are close, kiyakri, like when, when, when something comes close, um, with, or when he causes to come close, causes to bring forth, just to bring that he feel in there. Right. <laughs> so, no, medical no. student, you know? Yeah, no, you're doing great. Um, <laughs> so they present, present this korban, this, this act of closeness to God. Uh, um, so you're going to choose from some, from a behema, from like a beast or from bakar, from cattle, um, or from son, like a, like, um, a herd or sheep most, most often. What? Sheep, goats, sheep or goats. Um, and it, it's gonna, it, it actually isn't translated here, but takrivu, David, would you like to do this in correct grammar? <laughs> no, they, they will cause to bring close your, you will cause to bring close your offerings. You will cause to, you all. So, so what we're seeing a lot here, grammar aside, what we're seeing a lot here is the idea of closeness, right? That these sacrifices were an act of, of relational closeness of, of intimacy with God. So we're, we talk about sacrifices as if they're, the, I mean, David just did a great job explaining the different kinds of sacrifices, right? As something that an, an animal goes onto an altar or any kind of flower goes onto an altar and you burn it and it goes up to God and that's it. That's a sacrifice. But the way in which it's actually described here from the beginning is that it's a way of bringing you in close to God. It's a way of of giving you that that personal relationship with God. So Rabbi Shapiro and I often teach this class in the in the realm of mental and spiritual health. Um, and one of the one of the aspects of the different sources that David and I brought today are going to talk about like what what does it mean to come close, right? What does it mean to have that kind of closeness? And in 2022, what does that look like for us today when we're not doing those kinds of sacrifices? So these are our two verses. Feel free to ask any grammatical questions of David and any content questions of me. Um, and uh, Karen, Akushia. 
So this is the way <clears throat> I would get close to Correct. Because now when I get close, I'm lighting Shabbos candles. I'm doing kindness tshuva. I'm doing all those things. I've replaced this. Great kushia, and what we will get there. Um, and wait, and why? Why? Because it says here, when any of you present, okay, this is how you should do it. Mm-hmm. Who tell them to present anything to? Who? Who said, give me offerings? Maybe I missed that. No, no, you didn't miss it. I mean, I think what we are, we are just being presented with this idea of giving offerings to God now that we have a Mishkan, right? Before we had a Mishkan, there really wasn't any altar or place to be able to even do those sacrifices. So here we are being given the instructions, but also the command, as it were, to, to give sacrifices. And as you're stating, it was a way of, based on what David explained before, which is the different reasons that you might give a sacrifice, right now we are seeing the ways in which, based on those reasons for even needing a sacrifice, you are then being brought in close to God or making yourself close to God by giving those sacrifices. Maybe that's what I don't understand. Why would I bring a sacrifice? What would I be feeling yeah. to do that? What, what? You get it, what I'm saying? I do get it. Yeah. Um, there are different, there are different reasons. I think we're going to get to it. There are different reasons. If we don't get to it, bring back the question, but there are, there are different reasons. Oh yeah. And a couple of them are just, are, you know, more concrete. I did something, I did something bad. I, I, I did it on purpose or on accident and it's been racking me. So I can do this physical thing, this physical offering to God to, to clear myself of that in some way. So that's one, that's one reason. Elon, Mike, and then Renee. Yeah, I'm just curious. Why, uh, why does it specify you shall choose your offering from the herd or from the flock? And what were the other options? You know, like the zillions of animals that were running around the desert. What was, it seems uh, interesting and odd to make that specification. Great, great question. Renee. So mine was kind of similar to Elon. Why I was thinking of like why cattle, why not goats or any uh, rams or any other um, animal that they had around them. Great. Okay, Tyvel. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe because you said the thing about it's also the new longer title with the spiritual. What I started thinking about, it's not on the te- on the text, but I started thinking about what modern psychology has looked at how sometimes if something's free and for this substitute, easy, take it for granted. And also sometimes um, actually from advertising and pricing that when something is positioned as more expensive, even if it's not better, people value it more because it's more expensive. So I was just thinking about what it would take in an agricultural society if you didn't live near Jerusalem, but certain things happen and you had to go find the animal and afford the animal and schlep there. Well, it might really modify the behavior. It might be a real deterrent to being more careful, not even to make an um, something you didn't intend on purpose. And certainly it's more of a deterrent to bad behavior for those human beings who have the what we now know as the frontal cortex to think ahead and modify behavior. 
Great. You should definitely listen to the Bat Mitzvah Girls Drosh tomorrow morning. <laughs> um, that is that is a lot of what she's talking about, but that is a great kushia. David and I aren't going to really hit on that so much, um, though if he wants to speak to it, he's more than welcome to, but our, our texts aren't going to so much, but definitely listen to her, to her drosh. Um, and if we can, I can, I can give a little bit of a spin uh, off of that question. Mike. Yeah. Uh, I've, uh, I'm going back to what others have said, uh, I think, uh, and just adding my kushia to that. And that is the relationship of the animal, of the animal, which is, which is something that was obviously part of the society back then, but since the destruction of the, I mean, since 70 or even before, there wasn't a temple and, and we pray. So the idea of coming close and the relationship to the animal, uh, and, and how that those two play off of each other, uh, in terms of our actions is my question. Great. We're going to get to the prayer piece in, in just a minute. We do have a, a text specifically on that. Um, but yeah, what does it mean to give? And now I'm kind of responding to many of you, not just to Mike, but what does it mean to give of something that is, uh, goes back to Elon's and Renee's question as well. What does it mean to give of something that's really important to you, right? That you actually need for your livelihood, for your food, right? These are, these are animals that would have been used to do a job, but also would have been used to feed a family. So what does it mean to give up these animals as opposed to, I don't know, a, a chicken, which you would have many of, um, to, that would actually show even more of a dedication and even more of a loyalty to the act of sacrifice because you are quite literally sacrificing something that you need to be able to show that closeness to, to God, to be able to show that dedication to God. And again, going back to what how David described all the different sacrifices based on an action that you did, right? So it's not like, oh, well... I just think that maybe I should give up a cow today. You did something. And now the result of that, though, not a logical consequence um, for all those educators out there, but, but you did something and now you are giving up something. Um, and to go back to Tybal's point, um, part of what is going to be discussed in the drosh tomorrow morning is this idea that when you gave an offering, I forget if it's the Tor Haruch or Rabbeinu Bachia, one of the commentators that she's going to quote tomorrow, um, mentions that it's actually most important to give of the thing that you, quote, sinned with. So if you, um, if you stole something from somebody else, the, the sacrifice that you might give would be that thing. So if you stole a goat, you would now sacrifice the goat um, to be able to show kind of that logical consequence for your actions. Um, but the other the other uh, commentator, whichever one I'm not quoting before, um, says that the thing that's that's most important in these sacrifices is knowing what you did. It's not the it's not giving the sacrifice. It's knowing the action that caused you to have to give the sacrifice, and then giving the sacrifice to to understand. Oh, this is something that I did, and so now you know. If you're thinking about like kids going into timeout, oh, I know what I did wrong. Now I can come out of my room and say I'm sorry. So 
No, that to, just to go back to Tybal's point and to, to bring it in a little bit to everybody else. Um, David, anything else you want to say before we look at some sources? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just to answer um, the idea, the idea about, um, you know, just bringing it from the herd or the flock. Uh, actually, so there's some, con- so I think like Rambam and a number of different commentators, uh, Ramban, sorry, Ramban, Rashbam, a number of different commentators note, okay, why does it say from the herd or the flock? Um, because we're talking about the big animal category. Um, it's to exclude like wild beasts. Like you're not supposed to bring wild beasts. You can only bring domesticated animals. Um, and the herd of the flock is just uh, the heading for the large animals, right? Just to, to reiterate, um, it doesn't have to be from the, the large animals. It, it can be from uh, lambs, goats, sheep situation, or it can be from birds. Um, and, and for for almost all of these in this parsha, there's a tiered system. So, uh, and 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 none of them are are deemed necessarily better than the other. It's just what are your means? Um, certainly, I think like if you have the means to to do a bigger sacrifice, then that is an encouraged. Um, but uh, it's not necessary. That's all I'll say. Yeah, Mike. Um, I just was remembering something I read yesterday, and I just looked up and and. The, the uh, Devar the Rabbi Saxon's out this week. He talks about the flocks is representing the herd instinct, the powerful drive to move in a given direction because others are doing likewise. And then he points out that uh, yeah, the great figures of Judaism were distinguished precisely by their ability to stand apart from that. I thought well, that were, that's interesting. A it's a really good one this week. Um, everyone should read it. It is it is a very powerful. Obviously, he didn't write it recently, but it's a very powerful read. It's um, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs's um, commentary. Karen, to your motions. Um, Tybal. Um, you know, along the lines of every year. Well, Parsha comes up, well, triennials, obviously a little different, but so say every three years and you notice different things based on what's going on. And I had never folk or I don't remember focusing, not that memory at my stage of life. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, The idea that you had to bring it in a way that that corresponded most closely with what the infraction was reminds me of where the rabbis go on what a true apology is true tshuva not just pro forma i mean it's already starting the linking because i've just been thinking about a, a an apology uh from a friend of long standing that's so pro forma it's clearly the person doesn't mean it but yet thinks, oh, I said the words, that should be enough, as opposed to stopping the action. You know, all those, I think it's four elements of tshuva. Anyway, this just struck me a little differently, that it's starting to make that framework, that there's no real tshuva if you don't change it, so you don't do the same thing again. And that would be such a reminder where you had to figure out, oh, if it was theft, let's do this. If it's do whatever, what's the closest it's not just like throwing money at something where money's the same for any kind of transgression. 
Yeah. Oh, wait, not that there's anything wrong with donating to charity, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great connection. And I think that it is part of the way in which we uh, define and experience sacrifices today is figuring out the way in which, again, we could use the same word, right? We sacrifice elements of ourself or of our dignity or of our um, uh, pride to be able to say something to somebody that might that might bring us down, but but be the right thing to to say in that moment. Um, I'm sure we've all had those kinds of apologies um, uh, presented to us. And, you know, then at that point, you have to decide, is it something that you forgive and you just recognize that you have to? Or is it like a sacrifice where you say, no, this it means nothing unless you actually know what you what you've done. Um, OK, because before we go to off course, though, I love when everyone gives little drush out. Um, we are going to look at a few sources. Um, David, feel free to just we can either go back and forth or you can just say, no, I want to do this one or whatever. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so do you want to do this one? Do you want to do his cutie? Yeah, let me zoom in a little bit. <laughs> this yeah. is Hold on. The Ziegler Zoom School uh, conundrum. Okay. Okay, now a little bit to the left. To the left. <laughs> Sorry, I'm terrible. There you go, perfect. Okay, he's Cooney. Uh, okay, Kia Creve. So this is that idea of, of a person when uh, when he wants to bring close um, bring close an offering. Right, who brings close? The word introduces the manner in which God wishes to be served now. Now that God has taken up residence among God's people. Right. So so again, I think this is uh, connecting to why Yakriv, what's the what's the way in which you're going to go about this um, sacrificial experience where God is present in the camp uh, has it has an element of closeness. I mean, both just physically because God is has has dwelled, you know, among the people. But also that that maybe there's some deeper intimacy that is uh, inherent, um, or that or that needs to be brought um, of yourself. And then and then Chizkuni also has uh, this comment just a little bit further when it uses Kiyakriv again is that uh, he he translates Kiyakriv as the same as Kiyakdish, right? When they want when he wants to sanctify to cause something to be holy so that there's an element not just of bringing the thing close but also uh making it um making it a a holy action so holiness and closeness um have have a connection here and one of my favorite you've heard me say this many times but one of not david all of you um but one of my favorite little drashot to give on the word kadosh is that it actually means separation, right? So like kidushin in a wedding is that moment of separation of saying, okay, you are now a couple or kidush on Shabbat is really when Shabbat starts. It's not the lighting of the candles. It's really when you say mekadesh Shabbat, right? It's the, it's the actual moment of, of sanctifying the day with kidush. So 
the fact that to come close also has boundaries is really interesting, right? That there, that there's a type of separation that actually makes that closeness different, which of course, in human relationship, we totally understand, but the people you are closest to, there are definitely, there are definitely boundaries around, but also it's a different kind of closeness than other people that you are close to. And so it's, it's separate, right? It's distinguished from. So that's, that's what they're, that's the wordplay that's happening here, which I love because I just think that the, the fact that we translate kadosh into holy, but it actually means differentiated or separated from or, or made distinguished is really, is really interesting. Mike, did you want to say something to that? Yeah, I, I think there are so many uh, kinds of, of um, I mean, you bring up the closeness of, of uh, on the love of a couple, but so many other kinds of lo- love of a, of a parent toward a child or of a, uh, that, that this brings into fo- uh, focus or, or possibly, you know, uh, importance because uh, God is dwelling among God's people. He's taking residence of, among his people. He's calling out, you know, last week, he, uh, you know, the, the whole, uh, I, I guess in last week's Parsha too, Mo- Mo- Moses was somehow left out of the Mishkan or couldn't go in because of the mm-hmm. cloud hovering over it. Mm-hmm. But yet, now we see that he's as he's taken up his presence and he wants us to become close mm-hmm. in sort of whatever way we can uh, and whatever way. But but it, it brings out this love between individuals. It could be love between of, of other people in your orbit. You know, it, it doesn't have to be uh, just between a husband and a wife or. Yeah. or you know. And I love that, Michael. Um, some of the commentaries I, I was looking at and, and, you know, trying to figure out what we would focus on. Um, the, the first words, why does it say at the beginning of this book, Vayikra El Moshe, right? Uh, and, and a lot of the commentators do say, well, just previously, Moses wasn't allowed to enter the, uh, the tabernacle and God had to call to Moses to come close. And then Rashi says that the, the language of Vayikra is, uh, is Lashon Chiba is the language of, of, of care and love. Um, that, that the use of the word Vayikra is the language of the, uh, the angels who call to each other, the Kara Ze Elze Veamar, that there's a kind of love and, um, uh, fraternity or, 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 uh, community that, that is inherent in that word. Um, also, the fact that it could have used a shorter form, Vayikar, which it uses, Rashi says it uses for people who aren't so so great or loved. Um, so just an interesting that that open ah has a lot of love. And then we're coming into bringing things close. So it's all it's all tied in. And the ah is really little. So interesting that like it <laughs> opens up for a very vast. <laughs> yep. 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 That's <laughs> That was just my little drosh on that. No one actually says that. Okay. Um, okay. So the Akedat Yitzchak, we are not going to read this whole thing. It's like four, four pages long. Um, but this, this first part I thought was very, very interesting. Um, and it goes back to what many of you brought up and I think is, is a very common way of thinking about sacrifice in today's day, which is 
the, the prayer that we do, um, right? When we think about the Avodah service from the high holidays, right? We think about, okay, what does it mean? We're not, we're not doing sacrifices anymore. So how do we make the Avodah service something that is Rabbi Klickfeld does a meditation. Rabbi Joshua Shosky and I do a little bit more singing and intentional deep work into like social justice um, aspects of the world. Uh, so w- what is it that we are spiritually connected to um, as our sacrifices? So he says, because prayer is service of the heart, we have connected the chapter on prayer with a chapter on the Ola, the, a, a type of an a type of offering as an Ola is an offering that rises towards God in its entirety. Since the whole of the animal is being offered on the altar. So is prayer an offering of the heart, which rises towards heaven in its entirety. I just think this is such a beautiful way of thinking about prayer. Um, I'm not sure if any of you agree with it or agree with me that it's beautiful, but I think it's, if, if you are someone who enjoys praying and finds connection in prayer, whether that's through the music or through the, through the community or through the words of the actual prayers. This is a really beautiful way of thinking about why is prayer connected to sacrifice? Not just because, oh, we don't have a temple anymore, but because we really are thinking about it as, as the entirety of ourselves in, um, in that moment of connection with, with a higher power. When our sages describe prayer without concentrating on its meaning as being comparable to a body without soul, they mean that the warmth of feeling generated by genuine genuine prayer parallels the ongoing fire on the altar that burns the Ola. So now we're now we're getting into like deep metaphor here, but the idea that you might um, you often hear keva and kavana, right? That you might go through the motions of saying like. I don't know, modani when you wake up, that you might just say it because that's something that you know you have to say, is very different than actually meaning it when you say it. So do you have the kavanah to say it? Is your is is what you're saying kind of connected to to the actual saying of it? So that connection of body and soul. And there we're connecting it here to this idea of um of it needing to be kind of full to 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 take over the uh, sacrifice on the altar. Um, I'm not going to read all this. Hold on one second. Okay, so our hearts here, I'm right here. So our hearts are to be permeated by the outpouring of our prayers. So the Talmud in Barachot 32 tells us that we have to arrange the praise of God before proceeding with voicing our requests from God. Since the requests of concern mostly are temporal needs, Our sages describe the supplicant as someone who temporarily abandons their concern with the values of the world to come in favor. Okay, we're not going to, I don't need to go into this whole thing. But so this idea that we actually, there's like a give and take, right? That our hearts are being permeated by these prayers, but we have to give the prayers with full heart to make them connect to the idea of of reaching God. Is everybody with me? There's a little bit. I like the idea. What I'm what I'm reading in, into it, and I think what he's trying to say is, you know, he's he's connecting the need for preparation pieces of prayer, like Suke to Zimra, like verses of praise, which are the the introduction to the main service, um, as kind of like the same way that you need to prepare the animal and to prepare the fire on the altar. And to kind of lay out everything that's needed and to sharpen, you know, the knives and to have all of the elements that you need laid out before 
um, the thing itself. Um, and, and so, and so something about the, uh, the whole act is in the preparation of it and in the, the willingness, the bringing it forth before it's slaughtered, before it's sacrificed, before you have that, that, that the moment that you've all been waiting for, so to speak. That's so funny. That is not how I read it at all, but that, but that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and it's, and it, it's an interesting way of thinking about both sides of what a sacrifice is, right? You have to know why you're bringing it and, and do the preparation to actually bring it. But then there also needs to be some connection to how does that make you live a life after you've brought the sacrifice, which is kind of the, the end result of that. And if you think about our prayer practice, we end Musaf, um, which was supposed to be this additional sacrifice. And so how do we actually leave services um, feeling like, okay, we've done all of this and now we're going to bring it into the rest of our week or just the rest of our day. It's very interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, Mike. Um, you know, I've, I've read in the art scroll Sidor, they describe Pesuke de Zimra as a preparation uh, and, uh, uh, and then are, are peeling away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To prepare. The, uh, the other thing that, that, uh, your and David's comments uh, have brought up is a sacrifice. Is it the sacrifice? I mean, the sacrifice of the animal, you know, or, or is it really God is wanting us to sacrifice, really? It's our sacrifice. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's our, isn't it more like how, uh, the sacrifice is a um, uh, metaphor in a sense for our own sacrifice. It's It's realizing that we make these little inadvertent mistakes, let's say sin offering or something like that, or, or purposefully, and we have to be more cognizant of it or, uh, mm-hmm. but it's. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, and I think that the way that we think about it is that way, but I actually think that it was created for the reverse. Right? It, was, it was created to be in the reverse, but, but yes, the way that we think about it today is exactly that. And, and they're both correct, right? They both, they both get to the correct outcome. Yeah. Um, Paula, and then we'll go to another source. Hi. Um, so I'm going back to the you're being told. So intentionality, I think, is what I'm thinking about here. And I think that's what you were talking about. Or I think that's um, a valid interpretation of this commentary where you can be mechanical about it. You can just say the prayers. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Or you can be really intentional and you can, um, you know, be very conscious of saying it and what it's evoking in you and what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I, I'll say, like, I'll light candles, and sometimes I'll have to repeat the blessing because I realize that my mind, even from the beginning of Baruch to the end, have been distracted, and I haven't been, like, conscious, or I've been just letting my mind wander. And it was like, no, 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 I'm lighting Shabbat candles. I really want to be cognizant of lighting Shabbat candles. I want to be in the moment, not planning, not remembering, not in the moment. And I think that here we have, you know, God telling Moses, tell the people this, and then Moses telling the people this. But then there's the doing piece. And I think for me, what keeps coming back is the sort of the consciousness of the doing piece of it. And that's what you take um, 
that's, you know, sort of one of the purposes and one of the goals. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I won't speak for David, but I know that many rabbinical students, including myself, um, when you're going through the motions, whether it's prayer or it's learning grammar to understand how to learn a sugi of Talmud, it feels very much like that, right? It feels like, wait, but I just want to get to the meaning part. I just want to get to that moment of prayer that makes me feel uplifted, connected to God. Uh, I want to have that you know, the moment that I had a cult of fila, as soon as Kabbalah Shabbat started, I want that every single Friday. Well, you're not going to get that every single Friday. And so it is, as a very famous man, Elliot Dorf once said, um, it's about taking those swings, right, in baseball. It's not just about making the home run every time. So the, the you are completely correct, Paula. And I think that even if you don't feel that connection through the entire candle blessing, the fact that you're doing it is is closer to the um, closer to the reason for it to be a ritual for us than than if it's going to be meaningful each and every week. So so the doing the doing of the act, even if it's not going to be that that high experience every single time, also gets you a little bit closer. Which is why some of these sacrifices were made for those very mundane things in life yeah and i think the hardest thing too about just like those those moments because it happens to me all the time as well you know that that there are a lot of blessings that could be said or to be said during the day um and you know you're just they're just flying through your day or you're rushing to get to shabbat and okay i gotta light candles now um how do we arrange that praise right how do we like arrange our praise before we get to the, to the big moment. And um, the challenge of like, especially in our society, when we're, we feel we have to multitask and we have to rush through everything and we got to do this on the way to this um, is like that stopping for a second centering. And then, you know, and then lighting is um, I think it's, it's difficult, especially because Shabbat, you know, getting Shabbat ready is such a rush, but it's, it's a, it's a challenge for uh, that, you know, that we're all trying to strive for. I I find it very meaningful. And I, for me, if I'm doing it and I realize I'm not paying attention in the way that I want to pay attention, I would just like, just going to, I stop. Yeah. And I, and just like, okay, take a breath, pay attention. In fact, you know, the, the halakha, I know at least with the, with the Amidah, if you're, if you've gone through the first blessing of the Amidah and realize you didn't focus on any of it, like it actually says, go back. <laughs> um, you know, you minimally, you need to like have the focus for that first blessing. Um, but if, if you realize it, you know, go back, you know, or, or, and, and they also, there also is that thing. So basically what you intuited Paula is that, that whole moment of needing to just, okay, wait, I'm not focused in the rest of it. <sighs> Okay, now I'm here, and then continue is uh is a, is, a, is a difficult but important skill I think. I'll just add one more piece, and then we can go on. Um, Rabbi David Lieber, who is a name that probably many of you have heard before, um, was a very dear family friend. He was the editor of the Eitz Chaim Chumash, so maybe you've also seen his name. Um, and one of the things that he used to say all the time, probably one of our generations. Uh, just most brilliant minds and rabbis. Um, he 
He used to say, when people asked, why do you use a C-Dur? He used to say, because even though I might know all the words, if I look at them, I have kavana for the words that I'm saying. So he didn't need to use the C-Dur because he didn't remember the words of the Shema, but he used the C-Dur, just like some people hold the Kiddush cup in their hand and look at the Kiddush while they're actually saying it, to have that intentionality, like you're saying, Paula, to have that connection and to be able to say, this is why I'm doing this. And this is the, the reason for this to be important in my, in my practice right now is, is extremely, um, extremely meaningful as opposed to just going through, going through the motions. Um, okay. Uh, David, should we do the Kiddushat Levi or just the last two pieces? I, I, um, yeah, what's our timing like? We should, let's do the last two. Here, I'll do this first one. Okay, Ibn Ezra, um, my favorite. Here we go. Okay, Lirtso no, Lifne Adonai. Um, she, she akrivenu birtso no, veloba ones, right? So this, this line that it says that you're going to offer it, um, Lirtso no, for God's desire or, uh, favor before Adonai. He, okay, so what's the purpose of this line? Uh, Ibn Ezra would say that you will sacrifice it according to, you know, to, for God's will and not in a forced way, not under duress, right? That a person is, is offering it willingly and not under duress. Um, what does that make people think of? I don't know. What do, what do people get out of that teaching? What principle might we draw? Kavanah. Kavanah that it's done with Kavanah and not, not. Uh, anything else? Sure. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think also, you know, yeah, sorry, others. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Oh, great. Denise, go ahead. So I think um, the idea of being willing, it was not talking about it here exactly, but I've been just thinking about this for other reasons. Uh, but I think it has to do with the idea of doing it from love and not from fear. And because, like, later a lot of the stuff with the Kohanim is about love. And, like, when they do the, the blessing, it says, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everything is about love. And and all the rules also, like, when we add things into the davening for Shabbat, it's always like, and Hashem did this to us for love. And, and it's really like a whole bunch of extra stuff we have to do. And it's a whole bunch of hassles. And But it's always, like, kind of re- enforcing this idea that it's from love. Yeah. Right. Because you could have Kavanah, but just be scared out of your mind. That's still a form of Kavanah. Yeah. But this is like, it's supposed to come from, you know, a happier, nicer, softer place. Yeah. A free place, like a really free, free place. And I, and, you know, you can imagine that, you know, that this, uh, this institution you know, might have some kind of social pressures attached to it. Um, oh, they, uh, you know, they, they gave it. So I should, you know, I, they gave a free will offering. Um, I wanted, I want to do that, you know, and maybe you actually really do want to do that. That could be one thing, but I think the idea is that, uh, the intention, right, is, is I should be, should be pure, um, that it shouldn't just be people telling you to do stuff. Um, and and maybe it also warns against that kind of pressure, right? That the this that that it warns against making this institution 
um, the leadership of it or other elements in it to say, you have to go bring this, right? That it really wants it to be a free institution. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay, so the next Ibn Isra uh, is, let's see. Oh, yeah, so this is, it's not Vayarech, it's, it's Vayirach, right? I don't know. We don't have vowels on it, but it means he smelled it. And he just explain that this isn't from our verse. Oh, right. This is right. Okay. So this is go- going back to uh, Genesis 8.21. I think this is Noah, right? Okay. Rabbi Shatz doesn't know. Sure. Sure. I think it's when Noah builds an altar after uh, the flood and God smelled the sweet savor of the, uh, the offering. Um, so it says, far be it, chalila, it says, v'chalila, chalila, I like that especially, far be it that the Almighty should smell or eat, right? So we have this problem of... It is, in fact, from Noah, it's making me feel very embarrassed. It comes right after when Noah builds an altar for God, um, and, and it says, oh, and it says, so he takes every be every pure beast, um, and every pure uh, bird, and he and he offers them up as an ola, as a full offering to God. Nice. Good Great. job. A plus. A plus. Bikiud exam. Um, <laughs> Great. So God, God smelled this. We don't. I mean, far be it that Almighty should smell or eat. We don't want to anthropomorphize God, even though you know the. Torah text does a lot. Um, for it is also written in Deuteronomy, who ate the fat of their offerings, right? So then God is eating. Okay, so what this really means, rather the meaning of this is that God accepts accepts the offering and the offerer as a person who smells a sweet odor, as a sweet odor is to a human being. So here Ibn Ezra is saying, you know, the Torah is speaking the language of people. It can't help but speak in the language of people, even when it talks about God. And so that this smelling, the sweet smell is, is, is a, is a metaphor. Basically it's, it's like a person who enjoys an experience who smells a sweet odor. Um, that is the feeling that God has upon accepting these sacrifices. What do we think about this? Well, before before we ask them what they think about it, I want to tell you what I think. Uh, I <laughs> uh, the reason that I really liked this, um, <laughs> I love when Paula like gives me a thumbs up for saying something like that. I feel like I'm a little cheerleader. Um, uh, that there there is something really powerful about this about sacrifices here feeling reciprocal, right? That it's not just about us giving up something to God but that God also takes something in and then it comes back to the people to be something that's pleasing. So there, I I just, the reason that I really like, even though this doesn't come directly from our text, it was, it was a text that was indirectly connected to ours. Um, And I really like that this, that this shows, and maybe this is like my own personal theology of God coming through a little bit, but this shows that it's not just one way. It's not just, oh, God is receiving our sacrifices, but it's also that 
the people need to be able to experience that which they benefit from those sacrifices, how their behavior changes from those sacrifices, and the way in which God God is part of kind of all of that happening. Um, okay, now, what do you all think about this? <laughs> yeah, Mike. I think that is really uh, lovely because it makes you feel that if you're making a sacrifice, what you said and what and David uh, read, uh, if you're making a sacrifice as a person, then somehow if you get, if you think about God as more uh, as, uh, as uh, having God is merciful, then if you act more merciful in your life, if you act with more love and mercy and compassion, then that's going to somehow come back to you. Uh, and uh, it makes the world a better place. I mean, and boy, do we need that now. Well put. Other, uh, other, other perspectives here on this? It ta- I mean, it takes you above your, your, our own, you know, selfish endeavors or, I mean, not that we mean to be selfish all the time, but we could be. And yeah, very material, very level. Yeah, the material obsessed reality, right? Is 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 I think always how I I see this when I try to explain Vaikra to kids. Um, you know, I'm like I said, it's like if they took your iPhone, you know, you gave up your iPhone, and you were like, forget about it, I don't need it. It's for God. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not exactly the same, but something that it has such economic power. uh, that you would be willing to, to, to offer to God is, uh, I think uh, it's very powerful. It might not be exactly, you know, how we would want to do it in our time, but the, the, the idea of it, I think is really, is really powerful. No, I'm too glib. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I have always preferred the meal offering. Right. Don't forget that there is as the- a vegetarian. Yes, there is the meal offering, and I think that's really important. And the smell—I always think of the meal offering as the smell of baking bread. Yeah. So that's so much preferable to me than any of the other offerings. Right, and it's so interesting that bread and and meal and and you know grain is all right. a part of the sacrificial system, and and. You know, as well as the the show bread, the bread that's constantly on table in the in the Mishkan. Um, I imagine there were, you know, hopefully that was like a really nice nice smell amongst the other <laughs> smells that were happening. Um, I think there was a separate space for that, right. actually. So mm-hmm. I think it would have been distinguishable, which is. Um, I, I think important too, because I think, uh, Rabbi Clickfield talked about this in like, uh, Minchamar Sudashlishi teaching once where you were, it was in a place where it didn't, you didn't have to out yourself that you were bringing a meal offering because it wasn't as, um, as expensive, you know, or as costly as the animal offerings. And so there was a way in which it was where it was located. You didn't have to sort of out yourself. Oh, yeah. I, I really appreciate it. I think I was there too, Paula. On, I think it was a Sue Dashley sheet. Mm-hmm. Last year. Today, yeah. Wow. yeah. 
different so, time. I really, I, and that has stuck with me. It's awesome. It's awesome. <sighs> Uh, Do you want to? I I usually offer to Rabbi Shapiro that he can be the one to wrap up, and then he tells me to. But would you like to wrap up? Oh, you have to put a bow on your head. Uh, yes. Rabbi Shapiro, you had you had very good Torah and very little shtick in comparison to Rabbi Shapiro. Um, and also, well, we could have put on more of a show, but we didn't. Okay. I mean, you know, there was there was a I was I was trying to hold back the shtick. There's a lot of shtick to come this week, so uh, uh, you know, figured figured I'd I'd let it all get out on next Wednesday night. Um, the poor, that was nice. Good plug. If you're going to be around in person or on Zoom, uh, is going to be a lot of fun. We, we had a read through last night and it was a blast. Um, anyway, yeah, no, I think the, uh, I think there's, I, I, you know, I think amongst the, the blood and the gore and the animals and the, you know, the things that we have difficulty connecting to, um, especially if we're vegetarian or, or have, uh, feelings, you know, for, for animals and being, killing animals. Um, we see the, the idea, at least the idea that the text wants to, to, that the Torah wants to make out about this whole system is that, you know, it begins with this act of, of, of love and care in this Vayikra that Rashi speaks of and that the, 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 the word for these sacrifices is actually about closeness and intimacy. Um, and it's an intimacy that is supposed to translate in a certain way and, and maybe in a, in a, in a better way, uh, for us into our prayers. Um, that these, um, very physical acts, uh, resonate in our spiritual practice. And, and can be metaphors uh, for the kind of uh, spirituality and focus and wholeness and willingness uh, that we hope to strive for, um, you know, and, and that we're, we're still pushed by lots of different pressures and social pressures. And I feel it, too, when I pray that, you know, the, it's different when I'm praying alone and when I pray with other people. There's benefits um, of the support of the community, but also the feeling of other people watching and am I just performing Miami da for them in some way? Uh, you know, I, I think I don't intend to have that, but sometimes it happens. And, uh, you know, the, 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 that we're striving for the free will, right? The, the, the truly free, um, gift of, of prayer, of, um, of, of action, of, of, of doing good that that's only should just come from us. Uh, naturally, and it's not always easy, but uh, th- this is a good reminder for us, I think. Awesome. The bow is here. So our, our class is complete, but we have a few more comments. So uh, Paula or Denise <laughs> can't get rid of it. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't have a comment. It just like an idea popped into my head, but it's a totally new idea. So never mind. But you guys got me thinking. So. Okay. Great. Great. Bonnie. Uh, you know, send us a message after if that works, you know, through someone. Well, as I was listening, I realized that when I first came to my Judaism early as a teenager and I knew no, I really knew nothing. I knew the Aleph Beth, but I was drawn to the music. And, and to me, as I, and I'm not musical, I just enjoy hearing it. 
but when you're talking about the wafting up of the smell, I thought of the music rising up and that that, that really uh, made a difference in how I react and the closeness to God that I that I feel when I'm when I'm davening. So it is so that. beautiful, Bonnie. I love that. I love that. That it's that it's different aspects of the way that we connect, um, but that we all hopefully find something that brings us in, right? And for you, that's that's the reach nichoach, the pleasing smell of of the music that brings you in. That's really, really beautiful um, and such a nice note to end on. Uh, Yasha Koach, David. Um, Karen, yeah, no, there's no inside services tomorrow. There's a bat mitzvah on the field with a drush that you will all um, somewhat recognize based on this class. And, um, and what? We're primed. You were prepped. You're prepped. Um, and library minion and... David's teaching tomorrow afternoon. I have no idea what time, but I'm sure that it's in the afternoon. And I think 5.05, actually. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you all. Five minutes, five minutes every week, just to you know, slowly forward. Yeah. At least it's not 3.30 p.m. or something like that. True. But I then until next week. I next week, it's all going to be later. Yeah, so that changed. Correct. Correct. All of the comments that were just made on top of one another are all true. What I was about to say is that next week I will not be here. Rabbi Shapiro will be here alone. Um, I will be in New Orleans. So I will, uh, will not be at class, but will be teaching in the South. Uh, so have a great week and I will see you all soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.